TikTok. Derek Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex Talk with Derek Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. Um, I have a treat for you. I mean, you're going to hear some extra nerdery, as as if you don't get enough nerdery from me on a regular basis as it is. I brought a fellow nerd, therapist Alyssa Rice, who primarily works with kink, and also we are fellow PhD candidates at the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're going to jump into some, I mean, this is probably more mainstream than it used to be. But this topic is also controversial in, and we'll get into some of the reasons why here in a few minutes, but we're going to be talking about BDSM today. And we're going to be talking about the therapeutic elements of BDSM, which is something that uh, I, I definitely, we, we hear a lot of fear around BDSM. We hear a lot of, um, misconceptions, myths, tons. We hear a ton of shit about BDSM. So, but this is your wheelhouse. You're, you love the, the, you love your, the kink babies. Yes. <laughs> this is my absolute favorite topic on earth. I love talking about it and I love doing this work. There's so much work to be done. Oh, yes. Yes. So you, those of you out there who are fellow therapists or those of you who are out there who are getting into BDSM or we're going to be giving you some resources today, but we're going to be talking specifically about a couple myths that we haven't really addressed on this show. And one of the, the first one that I want to tackle is that BDSM is inherently sexual. So let's jump right in. So why is this myth false? I think that well, first of all, I think that this myth comes from the way that the media portrays BDSM. You know, we look at movies, we look at television, and it just looks like very rough, violent sex. And that is not always true. Yes, some people are into heavy impact play, sure. But so much of BDSM is psychological because we're looking at power dynamics between people. So those power dynamics they don't just pop up out of nowhere. They have to come from developing some sort of connection, relationship, the negotiation. There's so much to it. And a lot of relationships that are, you know, BDSM related have no sex at all. There's no touching whatsoever. Yes. Dr. Justin Lee Miller, who a friend of the friend of the show, did a lot of research on the keywords of what we're all fantasizing about. And BDSM is one of those huge ones a lot of us are fantasizing about. It's one of the most common things that we're searching for, one and two, like the power dynamics that you just referenced. Every client that I talk to, there is something sexy about power dynamics, whether we are calling it BDSM or not. Yep, absolutely. I think the power is something that attracts people especially because we don't get to have those types of relationships on a day-to-day -day basis, right? There's always these little power struggles we have, whether it's at work or in our school with friends and family, that sometimes you want to be in a different role. You want to get out of your head and BDSM and kink play really allows for that. Woo-wee! Yes. Okay. My common client, I say my common client because this is the, the person that I as a therapist might attract. This isn't everyone in kink. This is specifically like the, the folks I typically see. I see a lot of female identified folks who are high powered, high achieving, and very, 
they tend to be more perfectionistic. And often when it comes to BDSM, if that's something they like to engage in, they want to be submissive. They don't want to think about the list that's in their head. They want someone else to make the decisions and they want to be told what to do. And they're very specific about it. And when they're looking for partners for BDSM, this is what they're looking for. Yeah, it's interesting when we look at, I like to look at them as like alpha subs, right? These are female identified individuals who just, have so much power in their day-to-day life and all of a sudden they get in this dynamic and they want to give it up. But what's interesting is how tough it is for them to find the right partner and the right D-type because that kind of dominance has to be really strong for a very alpha sub to be interested. So it, it, it does make it tough. So for our listeners who are less familiar, what does D-type mean? So we're looking at any dominant type person. It could be master, it could be daddy, it can be just uh, sir, however they want to be addressed. It's just the dominant type person in the relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I appreciate that that clarification because I do think that we are we are talking about a community. We are talking about a culture as well. And we want to honor that. We want to use the proper terminology and then also understand the proper terminology in a way that's respectful and not stereotypical if we if I can at all avoid it as much as I you know I still step in it y'all we I I still step in it yeah we all do so when it comes to the non-sexual types of BDSM let's maybe give the listeners a couple maybe uh, examples of the non-sexual types of BDSM yeah I mean What's fascinating is right now, because of the separation, a lot of these relationships have no choice but to be somewhat non-sexual because the physical proximity is gone. And so we're looking at relationships where the power exchange has to do with like orders or commands. So obedience training is a really big one. If there is a dom-sub relationship where they're kind of separated, there can be a lot of just giving of tasks, giving of commands, and they don't have to be sexual. It could have to do with what they wear every single day. A lot of this control and power, it's really not just about getting off. Sure, that's fun and that can exist, but it, it goes far beyond that. Mm-hmm. So looking at that is, is, is important. We can't forget it. Yes. And here's a distinction. Um, and we're going to get into this in a, in a few minutes, but uh, you just gave an, an example that I think is important for people to understand the difference, right? There is a difference between somebody telling you what to wear every day because they're abusing you versus having a consensual agreement for that to take place as part of your BDSM play. Yeah. We cannot forget Consent is the most important thing when it comes to BDSM. Consent needs to exist with absolutely everything. And this is why the media is so problematic when showing us BDSM type relationships, because often the consent isn't there or it's coerced. And that does not count. Consent cannot be coerced. It has to be agreed upon prior to the play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you and I have heard probably a million times people reference Fifty Shades of Grey and the books and the movies and things like that. And I, I mean, to be completely frank 
and throw my bias on the table about Fifty Shades. It's terribly written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get through. I couldn't. <laughs> Sorry to you Fifty Shades fans out there, but I, I couldn't get through the first chapter. I'm like, I can't. I can't read bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky for you, I've read all of it. And seen oh, all the you movies. are a brave soul. Brave you soul. know what? It was it was an interesting time in my life as I was reading them because it was right when I was really introduced to kink. So I was reading it and I was like, this just doesn't exactly feel right. But I saw what was happening in the community and with people in general starting to kind of, their mouths were starting to water a little bit about BDSM dynamics. But unfortunately, it was done in a way where they were looking at an example that was not accurate. Yes. And that was really problematic. And not full of consent and not full of being intentional with acknowledging your own stuff from the past and how that might play out in your sexual health generally, not even just in BDSM, but generally. Yeah. Fifty Shades was not necessarily helpful in its debut of BDSM to the culture. Yeah, it could have been done differently. I would have loved for it to have been done in a way where people were able to really see true consensual negotiation. But I, I will say I'm happy that there are folks who saw it and were like, oh, there's a name for this desire that I have. Because I think that that's really validating for people and it allowed for a door to open. So the door was opened, maybe not in the best way, but the door did open. And I think it introduced a lot of people to huh, okay, why am I so aroused when I'm watching her get spanked? Okay, maybe maybe I can explore this a little more. And I love that. The most important thing to me is people owning who they are and, and living really authentically and, and experiencing the greatest deal of pleasure that they can. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. When I think about some of the other types of non-sexual BDSM, I've had clients who identify themselves as sugar babies. And yes, it's qualified as sex work, but there is also several of my folks who have been sugar babies that talk about the BDSM element that they can play with whoever their daddy is. That's in Mm -hmm. quotation marks uh, for those of you who can't see (laughs) us. (laughs) So what are some of these other non-sexual BDSM types? Well, I think impact play is a really big one. Some people are simply masochistic or simply sadistic, and they're not doing it for some sort of arousal. They're doing it because they enjoy feeling pain or enjoy inflicting pain. So there are some DS relationships where it's just about the impact. And for people that don't know what impact play is, this is like being hit with a flogger or a cane or any of the many creative toys that exist out there and just kind of really experiencing that exchange through physical pain rather than physical intimacy or sex. Mm-hmm. There was a special on Netflix. It was, it's a series, it's a dramatized series. And it was, uh, it's called, come on brain. I will find it and I will put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. It's not, it's not sex education, but it's all about kink. And it's actually somebody who's a student who is a student of psychology and is also a dominatrix. Oh, love it. And it is excellent. It is excellent in the way that it shows 
these different kinds of types of BDSM, but also the psychological impact of someone who consensually is dealing with these dynamics. What do you think about when when you hear someone kind of get a little concerned about the idea of playing with pain? What what do you say with them? What do you say to them? Well, I do have a bias, I would say, first of all. I mean, I, I think that people typically know what they like and know what they want. When it comes to pain, folks who want to play with that need to have some experience and they need to do research. So mm. for me, if a client comes to me and is like, hey, I really, really want to do breast play or I want to do knife play. Okay, so these are things where the person you're playing with does need to have experience. You don't want to just start something like this without negotiating, without having the proper tools, especially something like breastplate. BDSM can be dangerous, but Mm -hmm. so can rock climbing, right? There are so many things that we can do that are dangerous, but if we do them in the safest way possible, it might not necessarily be safe, but we can be more careful with how we do it. And I think a big problem is people feel so much shame about wanting to feel or give pain. And we need to help work through that with them to get them Mm. to kind of embrace that. There's a really big difference between being unkind or hurting somebody because you dislike them in a malicious way versus something that feels good, a release in your body. Yes. So first thing I want to key in on is those of you who are interested in trying to get help around this, you're going to be looking for therapists like myself and Alyssa who identify themselves as kink friendly or kink competent or kink educated, because then we can help you think about these things and understand how they fit into your life and the story of your life. But I also wanted to say something that I do, I have been hearing from many of my clients who come and want to explore this side of themselves, something that they they identify as a frustration of theirs is going out on some of these first dates and someone attempting to use breath play. So breath play for some that don't know, like is like choking. Um, and I can't tell you how many of my experienced folks who engage in BDSM get really upset when someone doesn't consensually negotiate choking. So, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, like the the negotiation of things that could be harmful to us. I mean, negotiation is so incredibly important when you're trying to engage in any sort of play with anybody, because we need to be able to express what our limits are so that those limits are not crossed. When it comes to breath play, or anything where there's high risk, like blood play, right? There's high risk in blood play because you can exchange fluids. When there's high risk, you have to have these conversations. These are not, these are not things where you should be in the bedroom and all of a sudden someone's like, let me, let me put my hands around your neck because that can be very triggering. That's where actually I think a lot of the stigma comes from is for people that were not doing this right, cause somebody to have an adverse reaction you know, rightfully so. And then BDSM gets a bad name. Mm, yes. And I think this is, this is an excellent moment to transition to the, to the other myth that we were talking about. Um, 
it's that the this myth that BDSM always perpetuates trauma, that if you've experienced trauma, you should not be using BDSM in quotation marks. That's the myth that we hear a lot. And and Alyssa and I are, are here to tell you that's not what we've seen with our clients. Right. There have been people that have come in my office who have had traumatic experiences in the past who have used BDSM to really process and re-script their trauma mm. and who are now engaging in super healthy, fulfilling BDSM relationships. So what does re-script trauma mean? So just so for folks have, sure. there's going to be people listening to this who are like, what is, okay, I just figured out the word trauma. What does re-script trauma right. mean? <laughs> so re-scripting trauma, the way that I sort of look at it as to process it differently for the story mm -hmm. to be different than what it was. So when it comes to having some sort of traumatic experience, there's all these associations that we make, right? We can associate the smells or the sounds. Rescripting to me is having an experience where you're more in control of the situation. You're able to try different things out. You're able to, and we could talk a little bit more about this, but kind of debrief which does not happen with a traumatic experience typically. And so now the story of the trauma feels different. It's a new story rather than the one that it had before. I say essentially this, what you were describing to my clients, uh, I say the brain is an association machine. That is what it does best. It is not a truth teller. <laughs> it is not our ally, not our enemy. It is a machine made to think. And the thing it does is move information quickly by association. And if we change the script, we can reassociate things that have scared the, the or, or terrorized us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I have definitely worked with people who have been able to take the story of their trauma and, and, find a home in a, a kink community that allows them to feel not only connected to others, but be able to gain their own sense of power of their story back. Yes. And there's so much power to be gained in BDSM. And I want to emphasize even when, or especially when you are a submissive, there is power to be gained in that situation. So I want people to get that idea out of their heads that submissives are powerless. That is not the case. Yes. Maybe we should talk about that relationship a little bit between the submissive and the dominant and why power can lie with the submissive. Talk, talk about that a little bit because I think that oftentimes people will think, well, submissive means you have no power. When in reality, right. in BDSM, actually the submissive's writing the rules. Yes. So when it comes to a... DS or Dom Seb or that type of relationship, the submissive has the power to control the scene. Even though the dominant may be the one giving commands or saying, hey, do this, do that, the submissive at any point can stop play. And I think this ties into the rescripting of the trauma because for the first time, a submissive or a person in the position that would be viewed as somewhat less powerful, they have the opportunity to say, stop. Well, they probably won't say the word stop, but they can use a safe word and 
completely discontinue whatever is happening. That likely did not happen when trauma was occurring. So it, it can be a very powerful experience to be able to have that and to be able to stop what's going on. You are providing context about the DS relationship that I think is often missed and misunderstood. So let's tackle like one final myth. And I think that this is an important thing to understand that BDSM practitioners cannot be feminists. This is a, this is a, <laughs> this is a myth I have seen, uh, especially on the internet in particular. That's why, you know, we all need to log off. I know it's hard during COVID y'all, but <laughs> log off and, and go paint or, or use kinetic sand or something. <laughs> yes. This myth absolutely destroys me because to me, now, okay, the stigma is usually against female-identified subs, right? That's, that's who people are typically saying, you can't be feminist. No, it's not possible. Okay, I cannot stress this enough. That is not the case. I don't know of a community that exists that is more sex-positive or built on autonomy or embracing this idea of, of consent than the BDSM community. Mm-hmm. being a submissive and having the power to say, this is what I want. This is what I want to do with my body. This is how I want to use my body. This is my pleasure. This is what feels good to me is as feminist as you can get. It is embracing who you are, what you want, going after it. The dynamic itself. I don't even know that it's relevant at that point because you're, you're owning, you're owning you and it's all about consent. So this myth, it just destroys me. I like get into this argument with people, but I will keep doing it because I'll keep fighting the good fight. Yes. I can't. I know. I know. It's, it's such a, it's, it's a heavy sigh moment because it's yes. this, oh, I, the, yes. the, the idea that people who identify as women, we have been told since essentially very beginning of time that our bodies are not our own and that our sexuality is not our own and that our sexuality is bad and wrong and belongs to other people. Yep. We're so vessels, the fact right? that, yeah. And that we're that this for, is, for procreation. That's what, that's it. That's the message we're given. We are given yes, that exactly. message and mm-hmm. BDSM is, is a place. doesn't mean that, you know, I think all women need to be doing BDSM. No, right. I think that if it's something that you want to do, it is a beautiful way for you to claim your body as your own yes. and claim your pleasure as your own. Yes. I mean, the idea that this idea that, that female identified individuals should only be having sex for the other and not for themselves, not for their own pleasure is tough for me to hear because we are all so entitled to pleasure. Our bodies have zones and places that were created to feel good. And it's okay to take that and embrace it and say, yeah, if I want to be smacked around a little bit and I'm consenting to it because that feels really good for me, then hell yeah, do it. Do it safely, but do it. Own it. It's okay. This is what I'm always telling my clients. They come in, they feel this shame. Oh, what's wrong with me? I like to have someone take a flogger and, and smack me with it. And I like to have bruises on my body. It's okay. That is okay. If it brings you pleasure, if you're doing it consensually, do it and love it and have fun and 
keep experiencing it. Mm, just all of the warm, yummy feelings from that, Alyssa. <laughs> just awesome. So, so somebody wants to jump into BDSM. Step one for a baby kinkster. Oh, I love my baby kinksters. Okay, step one <laughs> to me is familiarize yourself with the community. I would encourage my clients to not jump into play immediately. Get your cell phone set life, which, you know, for people that don't know, it's probably the biggest social media site for kinksters. Get on set life, do a little reading, do a little research, attend munches. And munches are social events. Okay, so typically when we're not in isolation, they're non-sexual. So you're not like dressing in your gear. You're going to like Dave and Buster's and playing games with <laughs> kinksters. So get to know people in the community develop friendships, develop connections, and find people that have good reputations so you can listen to them and hear what they have to say about how to approach all of this. But first and foremost, education, that's always my go-to before anyone jumps into play. I love it. Education. All right, people. Words matter. Read them. Get to know people. (laughs) Find your way with mentors. And it's okay to slow yourself down. Yeah, yes. it's exciting. I think for people when they, when they first kind of come into their kink orientation, and I do view a lot of kink as something that's an orientation rather than like a fun side hobby, which it can be for some, but for people that really identify as kinky as part of who they are, it's super exciting, right? Like you identify it and you're like, Ooh, okay, now I understand who I am and let's go. And that can be a little bit risky. So we want to just take a breath, slow down, and understand that you got your whole life to be kinky. Mm-hmm. Never Shirts. has to stop. We need a shirt. You got your whole life to be kinky. Yes. Oh, I love, love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to make sure we, 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 I haven't done it in a minute, so I want to make sure we do Ask Erica the segment. And so a lot of times I... I, I, when I'm doing Ask Erica, I have some of my guests bring a question that they hear a lot or that comes up in, in sessions more than once, which we, we see patterns of human behavior. That is our ther- the therapist's role, right? We are the story collectors of the world. So one of the things that you said was the most common question that you get a lot is, am I doing it wrong? So let's tackle that. Am I doing kink wrong? <laughs> I mean, to me, the biggest wrong thing someone can do is not listen to the boundaries and consent of someone else. To me, that really is what's wrong because that's where danger lies. That's where discomfort lies. But at the end of the day, this is about exploration. This is about trying new things, understanding your body, understanding your desires. And so it's really hard to do it wrong. Mm. It's just about exploring. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be awkward. You're going to have situations where you leave a scene and you're like, well, okay, that was not exactly what I expected. But it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that you're learning and trying and growing into your kinky self. Turning on curiosity and turning off that shame monster inside. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So how do people find you in the world, my dear Melissa? 
So if people want to find me, they can go to my website at healingwithalyssa.com or they can go on my Instagram, which is healingwithalyssa. And Alyssa is spelled E-L-Y-S-S-A. You all, you jump over on on that Instagram. Alyssa puts a lot of really great content, uh, content up there. And everything she just said is in the show notes. Also, I want to say Alyssa's licensed and serves the entire state of California and is currently accepting new clients, correct? Yes, I absolutely am. So I'm a former fellow Californian. So my fellow Californians, jump on it. Get in touch with Alyssa. She's got spots open for you. All right, folks. Thank you for joining us this week and sticking around to the end. We will see you next time. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.